Hello and welcome back to CoinScrum Markets. I'm thrilled to be joined again by Anton Golub, CEO at Flovtech in Switzerland. How are you doing, Anton? Hi, Paul. Uh, doing great and great to be again on your show and looking forward to discussing all the exciting things that happened in the last month uh, and a lot, of, a lot of interesting things like always in the crypto world. Absolutely. So we just want to kind of finish the week up with uh, looking back over the last uh, seven or eight days or more into last week, I bet, could cover the Coinbase news and the uh, direct listing, which got all, they got away successfully. Um, impacted the markets perhaps a little bit, a few things going on. So um, let's start with that. It was the big news last week. Um, what's your thoughts on that Coinbase listing? Yeah, so first, uh, big congratulations to Coinbase and also uh, on understanding that this is a big validation for our whole industry, that we have actually now a successful case, a successful company that made it all the way to the public, public traditional markets, actually. And I think this couldn't be a, a, a greater validation of a new industry because this was one of the, if not the largest ever listings, direct listings in the U.S. equity markets. And I think the excitement that has generated and also the uh, drag up on all the valuations that will happen among the companies in the crypto space is going to be very important for us. And I couldn't be more exciting. And uh, I think also generated a lot of excitement in terms of like how the listing was done and how the shares ended up there and how were traded and what the insiders did in the first days of trading. So I think this also is very interesting for us to see it from a crypto space where we have seen listing and trading uh, for many years now to see how the, the, the crypto companies stand up in the traditional markets. Yeah, I mean, we did see um, like the list of uh, of insiders uh, selling on day one was published, and um, you know there was some quite significant sales there. It coincided as well with uh, Bitcoin making an all time new all time high in the run up to it, and then it seems to have marked a high, and we had quite a sharp turnaround at the weekend. Um, yeah. I mean, just firstly on 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 that turnaround was you know Bitcoin sold off from sixty five thousand down to fifty two thousand, sort of stabilized around. 55,000 now time of recording. Um, you know, what, what, what's your thoughts on that? What did we see in the futures market in particular with liquidations going on? Yeah, so I can comment this from two angles. One is from the market perspective. The other one is for potentially what were the fundamental aspects, why this happened. Coming back to the fundamental aspects, one thing that was actually mentioned several times was the drop in the hash rate among the Bitcoin mining and Bitcoin network. And I think that kind of sparked a lot of discussions in terms of could that be the fundamental reason why we had a sell-off. I think that's actually definitely one aspect to it. And also understanding that, you know, the fees that we are seeing among, this is not just necessarily a issue within the Bitcoin, a blockchain of Bitcoin, but also in Ethereum, this has been an ongoing topic now for since the DeFi bubble that happened last summer, that, you know, the kind of the consequences of Allegedly, quite a few miners in China going down due to electricity issues or maybe other items. The other one is that the network congestions that we're seeing in the last time periods. I think that was a kind of what people remarked several times in the fundamental reasons. On the market reasons, I can just mention that, you know, what we see was that you had really severe auto liquidations happening, particularly in the futures market and particularly at a single uh, exchange, where really uh, I think what the number came out is that it was several billions that got liquidated in a very short time period. Uh, on my side, and this is my personal opinion, actually that the, the trend is still the same uh, and the bull run is still on. You have this market, re market reactions that, the, that could actually cause the price to overshoot downward in this case, but I th still think that the fundamentals are very, very strong, especially what we see 
on our side as a market maker, it's the bull run is still on. And just to remind people that some, when liquidations happen and when the price goes down, the way everybody is unhappy, but to remind ourselves that people get liquidated when the price goes up as well. But then it turns out everybody's very happy when that happens. So it's a bit of how unusual we are when it comes to in which direction people are get liquidated in this context. Yeah, I guess so. So maybe people were just getting a little bit over uh, extended on the long side. Um, and, you know, we've seen a number of these, these type of pullbacks already this year. Um, are there any kind of technical levels you're looking at where you would be uncomfortable or where you'd be looking for support if this does turn into a slightly, you know, longer or medium term correction? Yeah, so I would actually like to, uh, great question, I would like to relate it actually to the crash that we had in March last year, which you remember when the uh, COVID pandemic started. It was really the way I recall it at last time that, you know, the crash that happened then really put a lot of companies out of business because a lot of companies were not prepared that such a sharp drop happens because just a lot of people are actually, it's very natural, we are long the whole industry, we're long crypto, we're long Bitcoin. And when these kind of corrections, severe ones happen, um, people, the companies can go actually go out of business. I do have to say this is not the case today. Even if we have a se severe correction, it would go down to 40K. The companies that are still there are very strong. We have very strong balance sheet, very strong funding, and that actually can survive if something of further correction happens. I don't think actually, so again, this is my personal opinion. I don't think that the correction will go that much further down. If it does, there'll be a lot of uh, um, uh, ready buyers, uh, but just that what we see in the market and what it evolves that the, the appetite is still very strong, both from the retail side and from the institutional. Institutional is very price sensitive, so this is a great opportunity for them to buy. And on the retail side, I mean, all the metrics are showing and what we see also in uh, with regards to trading that everybody's still buying crypto. So I see this very, very strong and maybe a support around 50 and 40K levels. Okay. I mean, just touching on one of the things you mentioned about the hash rate, because that is you know, an interesting data point. Um, it seems to be a, a perfect storm. Um, you know, Bitcoin difficulty adjusts every two weeks. It had uh, you know, recently reached, in the last adjustment, reached a new all-time high. And then presumably we've had this 25% drop in hash rate in the intervening period. Um, and allegedly put down to, uh, as you said, uh, a kind of a, a large number of miners going offline in China, um, presumably in an area which is heavily uh, dependent on coal fire energy or coal fire power stations for their energy sources. So, some couple of in interesting kind of data points there. You know, people, have, uh, you know, ESG has become a big topic around Bitcoin mining again. Yeah. You know, that question, that debate is definitely uh, coming to the fore again. Um, so perhaps that gives an indication that, you know, there is a large amount of mining uh, in China, which is powered by um, non-renewable sources, even though we know that there is a lot of um, hydropower out there that's utilized as well, especially in their rainy seasons. So that's an interesting point. But what's also meant is, you know, until we get a, a readjustment on the difficulty again, um, there's, you know, there's a lot of congestion on the network. Blocks are being produced at a slower rate than the kind of um, the target of, uh, of, of every 10 minutes. Um, so fees are at an all time high. Um, and we've seen the Bitcoin price pull back um, and said stabilize around 55,000, about 20% off its high. Now Ethereum kind of pulled back, it kind of, you know, it, it, it drops off along with Bitcoin, but that's bounced back much more strongly. What do you think is there, that indicates? Yeah, so I mean, first with regards to, um, 
the whole situation that we're having around mining. And I think I see this many times as an occasion to uh, assess it from a market perspective. And this is the discussions that I many times have with people who are involved in mining and their need that's been around for several months and years now around uh, hash rate futures. I think this will be something a very innovative product that we see actually that might actually even have an appetite uh, among both the vested parties would be the miners, but uh, to hedge themselves, yeah, but also uh, towards speculators. And I think that really in that context, this is something that could be actually open up an opportunity, given that at least what we see is that the appetite as well for mining and the first exposure in the blockchain and crypto infrastructure is still very present. That this could be an interesting aspect, you know, for those instruments to launch and maybe some market makers to do mar provide liquidity for that one. Uh, with regards to actually, how is this reflecting on, on actually the usage of the networks? This is an interesting discussion that I had from kind gentlemen from Polkadot, Cosmos, uh, and near as well, where we really are now discussing a lot about uh, blockchain interoperability, because we understand actually there's reasons why we would use one blockchain or the other, but then also we are talking about the ease of use as well. I think maybe here, uh, blockchain or Bitcoin is a bit special because nobody's really using uh, blockchain or Bitcoin for to run smart contracts, for instance. So this is really the domain, for instance, of, of Ethereum. Yeah, but I think again, this is just um, our industry is progressing. Um, innovate, uh, evolving and innovating. And I think the topic of interoperability with the launch of uh, uh, Polkadot in the recent time period was a very important topic for us. And also maybe an opportunity for us to really assess, you know, what, uh, what which blockchain should be used for what, yeah. Uh, but again, this is uh, how they say, still in the early stages in the discussions that I had so far and what we are seeing out there. And, um, Again, uh, given the bull run that I see personally, uh, that I'm opinion that it's still there and happening, I don't see actually the fees going down. I don't see the congestion getting any better. And as you mentioned, uh, uh, the difficult rate adjusts every two weeks. So let's see how things evolve, you know, uh, in a, the following time period. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, that's, it's been long debated about um, hash rate futures. I think around that debate, the question is, you know, where the natural buyers and the natural sellers are. Um, and specifically, I guess, with Bitcoin versus, say, Bitcoin Cash, where you know, we can go back to that whole block size debate. Um, you know, blocks, yep. the, the block size on Bitcoin is limited. Uh, maybe, maybe there's an argument for kind of a, um, a fees futures market uh, where people could hedge the fees themselves, because I guess that is yep. the result of any of this congestion, uh, congestion on the network. Yep. And there's lots of economic actors on the on the network, whether it's exchanges or just you know, traders as well, uh, that might be able to take advantage of something like that if we had a contract yeah. where people could actually trade futures around uh, fees themselves. So again, maybe one that people will be pursuing in the future. Um, and just back to then what you were talking about there around these other networks, and I guess this comes into the whole scaling debate. Ether, you know, Ethereum and the ETH token has bounced back strongly in price. You know, there's ongoing um, uncertainty about scalability on Ethereum. We've seen you know, the um, congestion issues on that network, especially with the growth of DeFi and the cost of trading on DeFi exchanges now. Um, now, I guess we're potentially starting to see some solutions there. Uh, Uniswap, uh, one of the leading uh, DeFi exchanges, recently, uh, last week, I think, or more recently, um, launched version three of uh, their DEX. Yeah. Um, and that looks to be addressing some of those problems. Can you talk about that a little bit? 
Yeah, so uh, just to uh, mention, I mean, Uniswap has been, has been a massive success story because you could pretty much list any token you wanted there in a very easy way, set up a simple pricing mechanism. And due to that, in my view, it's been just a huge success story, which was to a certain extent uh, burdened by the high fees, you know, that we're seeing on the Ethereum network. Kind of the, to just, uh, I mean, explain, I'm sure a lot of people, of your viewers know it, uh, but basically in plain language, uh, Uniswap is a, becoming an exchange actually, yeah? in a sense that now they're actually enabling that you target a certain price bucket with the liquidity that you wanna supply. And if you just kind of think about it in our market language, basically they're in, a, in um, indirectly, they're actually creating an order book, whereas basically on each bucket is kind of like a quasi limit order, yeah? So I think this is actually a very interesting uh, 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 evolution that from a trading venue with a very simple setup and a very simple pricing, they're actually becoming an exchange, which is was actually the pitch was so always uh, presented to everyone that it's actually a market making protocol wrapped within a trading venue. Yeah? And the, the reason why I'm saying is why it's interesting, they're actually becoming an exchange and not a market making protocol anymore because today in, with the version three that's supposed to come out in May, you really ha will have to be skillful fast and very clever how you actually place those how you actually supply liquidity in certain price buckets yeah so i think you know from that mo moment on i retail and unsophisticated or unprofessional traders will still be able to supply liquidity but to the extent they do it optimal or they actually benefit the most from the fees because it very much depends where you place your liquidity in that price bucket are you around the mid price or you're far out yeah at that point uh, uh, Uniswap will become a tool for professional uh, traders and professional market makers and prop shops. Yeah, so I really think that's very interesting evolution. But I still think, I mean, the uh, the success story that uh, uh, Uniswap had with you know the current setup will translate into the version three, and but it's going to be a greater opportunity for market makers like Floftech and other ones. And I think at that point we'll we will have a less of an explaining to do what a market maker does, even in automated market making protocols. Yeah, so this is a little bit for me about that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's definitely been one of the barriers which has been raised <clears throat> um, or questioned about that, especially for more professional traders in terms of being able to assess what prices they're going to be trading at. So the idea here yeah. is that currently you have a single pool, but um, each uh, instrument that's being traded will have multiple pools um, where you can uh, fix exactly. prices at different uh, levels within a, effectively that would be within a traditional order book. Exactly. So, yeah, I think it's just an interesting evolution. I, I think also, I mean, there was a lot of discussions recently around the so-called flashbots that tried to actually eliminate the fact that uh, quite a few traders, I mean, were front running, I mean, the whole trades by getting in front, I mean, getting first in the uh, in the block or actually getting, being the first one to end up in a particular block. So I, I think a lot of these things evolve over time. They're interesting to see, you know, from a trading perspective, because there's a lot of actually profit opportunities out there. And, but I look forward very much to the version three and Floftech will be a part of that uh, trading and market making in the future of automated market making protocols. Excellent, great stuff. Well, I think we've covered everything from the last few days. Um, always interesting. Thank you again for joining us, Anton, and uh, we'll see you again in a few weeks time. Thanks a lot for, for inviting me and wishing everyone to stay liquid and talk to you soon, yeah. <laughs>